Good evening, dear brothers and sisters. Let's turn to Isaiah, uh, excuse me, Psalm. Psalm 89 is our Old Testament reading tonight. We're going to read verses 19 through 37 of Psalm 89. This is God's very word, so let's give it our full attention. Then you spoke in a vision to your Holy One and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David. With my holy oil I have anointed him, with whom my hand shall be established. Also my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name his horn shall be exalted. Also I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth, My mercy I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever, and his throne is the days of heaven. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. And our New Testament text is Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Originally, I had planned to tackle 14 through 17 all in this uh, sermon, but as I was working through it, it was getting longer and longer and longer, um, and I was giving short shrift to the last point. So verse 17 is going to have to wait till uh, two weeks from now, Lord willing. Uh, So we're going to take 14 through 16. I'll go ahead and read 17 here as well. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, These are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Amen. Thanks be to God that he's given us this word. Let's pray and ask him to bless it to us. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word. It is indeed our life and our joy because your word tells us of yourself and of your gospel and of the way of salvation. We thank you for the riches of your grace that are unfolded for us in your holy scriptures. 
Father, we pray that You would open our hearts, that we might receive them, that we might taste and see that You are good. Enlighten our minds. Grant us, uh, grant us uh, warmed affections and renewed trust and commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ and to You, our God and Father. We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. When I was in high school, I was part of a youth group that would take a summer missions trip for a week each summer down to uh, the Boardwalk Chapel in Wildwood, New Jersey. It was an evangelism ministry of the OPC. But in order to go on that missions trip, we had to submit an application to the youth committee of the church. And part of the application was to answer a question asking us to explain our understanding of the gospel. Um, they wanted to make sure that these kids going out to tell people the gospel understood the basics of the gospel. Um, so it was something like the question, what has God in his gospel done for you? And I remember I, I, I wrote probably a page or so uh, typed up uh, about the gospel as I understood it. Justification and sanctification, the grace of God and uh, divine election. And, and uh, I thought it was all right. Um, and I, I remember turning into the committee. I, I gave it to them. And I got it back sometime later, and it was fine, uh, but, but they had a comment on it, and it was something like this. Uh, this is all very good, but don't forget about your adoption in Christ. I had not mentioned adoption in my bit on what God has done for me in the gospel. I, I knew about it. I'd grown up in the church. I learned the catechism question about adoption. But somehow, right, it was like the, the middle child sits between justification and sanctification in the, in the confession of faith. And I, I missed it. Adoption, the glorious doctrine that, uh, that God has not only justified us, but he's also made us his children. Um, J.I. Packer, in his classic work, Knowing God, tells us that understanding adoption is basic to understanding what it is to be a Christian. He writes these words. He says, Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Do you understand Christianity well? Do you know what it is to be a child of God because of the gospel? I, I don't think Packer is overstating things to say it the way he does here. If God is, his father, is our Father and we are His children, how could that not be the dominating reality of our lives? The thing that prompts and controls our, our, our faith and our, our worship and, and the whole of life for us. Um, my, my, my three young children wake up every day and the dominating reality of their life is that I'm their father and my wife is their mother. They wake up and they are living in that world. That, that world controls everything about their lives. That relationship dominates their lives, shapes it, and, and colors it, and, and, and informs their whole lives. And loved ones, it should be that way with us, with our Heavenly Father. That our relationship with Him as our Father in Heaven, even more than, more than an earthly father with his child, it should be the thing that shapes and colors and informs and prompts and directs all of our lives.
And it's this wonderful doctrine that God is our Father, we are His children, that lies at the very heart of the Spirit's work. Uh, The Spirit, of course, His work is to apply to us the work that Christ Jesus has accomplished for us. And and we're walking through some of these things in in Romans 8 about how the Spirit applies to us justification and He applies to us sanctification in Christ. And adoption as well is one of the great things the Spirit does to us as He unites us to our Lord Jesus Christ. And as, as Paul continues through this chapter, Romans 8, unpacking what it means to be a Christian, to be filled with the Spirit, he now comes to this wonderful truth of adoption that we belong to God as children to a father adopted in Christ by His grace. He unpacks all kinds of implications from this doctrine. We're going to look at three tonight uh, in verses 14 through 16, which all center around our assurance as children of God. The first point, then, is from verse 14. The first point is this. Through the spirit of adoption, we are sons of God. Through the spirit of adoption, we are sons of God. Verse 14 says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now, Paul's uh, train of thought goes back into the previous verses. So in verse 13, he just said, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The pressure is turned up in that verse, isn't it? If you live by the flesh, you'll die. You live by the Spirit, then, then, then you'll, you'll live. Um, so the, the, the stakes are high in that verse. But then verse 14 comes right on the heels of verse 13 and, and brings assurance to us. Fills our hearts with this calm assurance. If you are led by the Spirit of God, then don't fear, don't fret. Know that you are sons of God. Two questions that verse raises. First is, What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? If you're led by the Spirit of God, you're sons of God. Well, what's it mean, Paul, to be led by the Spirit? I think he's using this phrase, led by the Spirit, to point back to everything he's been describing about the work of the Spirit up to this point so far. To be led by the Spirit means the Spirit has given you new life, and the Spirit now governs your new life. The Spirit has given you life, brought you into union with Christ, out of condemnation into life, and now the Spirit governs your life. He directs it. He controls it. He's the one who leads you in it. One commentator says this, this, to be led by the Spirit is to have the direction of your life as a whole determined by the Spirit. There's a prominent Old Testament theme, I think, that's also operating in the background here of what it means to be led by the Spirit. Um, There's this... Uh, we, we see this in, in the Exodus event in the Old Testament. God's people, right, he, whom he calls my son in, in Exodus chapter 4.22. Um, God, God leads them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and into the promised land. Exodus 15.13 says, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And Paul, I think, is picking up on some of the same imagery of God leading his people out of slavery, out of bondage and condemnation, and into their glorious inheritance, which is exactly what Christ does, what the Spirit does for us. Leads us out of condemnation, 
leads us into our inheritance. And through the wilderness in between, He leads us, He guides us, He goes with us and supports us. We often, uh, loved ones, we often like to look within ourselves for leadership and guidance and relying on ourselves, but it is only the Spirit of God who leads, directs, and governs us sufficient for the task ahead. And as, as, as Paul is saying these things, and he's calling us to assurance to know that if you're led by the Spirit, if you see the Spirit at work in you in this way, then you can have assurance that you belong to him as, as a son, that you are God's son. Um, uh, Paul, Paul's directive then, as, he, as, he give, as, he's, as he's encouraging us towards assurance, is not, first of all, to look at ourselves and the fruit that we are producing or not producing, but, but to say, am I being led by the Spirit? Not, am I following the Spirit, but am I being led by the Spirit? There's a difference there, right? It's not, what are we doing, but what is God doing in me? And that's where we look to be encouraged and assured, not not what we're doing, but what God is doing by His Spirit. Is He leading you? Governing? Directing you? Bringing you into greater conformity to Christ? Do you know His power at work in you, in your weakness, to conform you to Christ? To rebuke, correct, and challenge you? And do you know His, His arms bearing you up through hardship and trial and His presence with you, bringing you heavenward? then you're a son, Paul is saying. You're a son of God. So that's what it means to be led by the Spirit. Second question the verse raises, what does it mean to be a son of God? Fundamentally, most fundamentally, to be God's son means that you are in Christ. That you're adopted in in Christ, the son. The first son that's mentioned in Romans 8 is Jesus Christ himself back in uh, chapter uh, 8, verse 3. And then the last son mentioned in Romans 8 is Christ, again, uh, in verse 32. So the chapter is bookended by Christ, the Son. And now here embedded in the middle, we are sons in the Son, adopted in Christ. Um, Jesus is God's Son in in two senses, isn't he? He's, He's God's Son in that he is the eternal, divine person, second person of the Trinity, Son of God from before the foundation of the world. Very God of very God. But there's another sense in which Christ is a son, according to his human nature as well. Because he's adopted as God's son, as God-man. He's true Adam, true Israel, true David. We saw the language there in Psalm 89 of God adopting David and making him his son. Well, here's great David's greater son, our Lord Jesus Christ adopted by God also to be his own son. And so it is that our adoption is found in his, that our sonship is is rooted in his and we share in his. We don't have a place in his family. We're sinners. But in Christ, we're given adoption and brought into God's family and made sons. What does that mean for us? That's where Paul goes next. And this is what we're going to see in the next two points. Um, so our second, our second point is this. Through the spirit of adoption, we are no longer slaves, but adopted sons. This is the first part of verse 15. Verse 15a. 
Here Paul starts by saying what we have not received. Um, he says, the spirit, you've not received the spirit of slavery or bondage to fall back into fear. He's describing the same reality we looked at back in, chapter, back, back in verse 1 about condemnation, being under the death penalty, under the death sentence for our sin. And he's, he's saying, fundamentally, you used to be slaves under fear, under God's wrath, guilty criminals before a holy judge. Picture, picture, picture uh, a criminal on trial. The sentence is about to be passed down. What's he feeling? Fear. Judgment. He's, he's under that. He's guilty. He knows he's guilty. The judge knows he's guilty. The punishment's about to come. That's where we used to be. Paul has already said that this is what God's law does to us. It's like a policeman who comes, handcuffs us, and drags us into the court before God, Almighty Judge. Here's another guilty sinner under your wrath, under fear. And Paul is saying, but you're a son. You've not received that spirit to fall back into a, uh, to the, under, under the fear of slavery to sin and under the wrath of, of God. We, we often revert to thinking about God this way, brothers and sisters. Um, we, often, we often underestimate His grace. And we think that even though God has forgiven us, brought us into fellowship with Himself, He might still be a little bit suspicious of us. Like, there's still some things that, uh, that, uh, that um, like he's watching us, trying to catch us in a mistake. We're on probation, as it were, with God. Um, it's one time I had gone to get my car registered at the town office, and I was driving home. I hadn't put the stickers on yet. I think I was a few weeks overdue, uh, so I had the old stickers still on. But I was driving home, and I was going to put them on later that day at home. And a police car was following me. And so the whole drive home, I'm, I'm driving very carefully by the speed limit, right? And I don't know far to go from the town office to the parsonage, right? But the whole time, what's my feeling, right? Fear, trepidation, holding my breath. Um, sometimes we, we live our lives as though God is like that. He's watching us, waiting for us to mess up, and then the judgment will come down again. But the truth of the gospel, the glorious truth of the gospel is you have not received a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We have received freedom from the fear of God's wrath. Absolute freedom from the fear of His wrath because we're in Christ, adopted as sons. Now, we, we fear God. We stand in awe of Him. We reverence Him. We are in awe of His holiness and His power. But we are not scared that He's going to reverse His judgment and the gavel will come down and we'll be found guilty again under the death sentence of condemnation again because we're in Christ as His sons. So there's no place for this fear, this kind of fear as Christians. We've received something else, something better, brothers and sisters. Paul says, we've not received that spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We've received the spirit of adoption as sons. As Paul's talking about adoption, I think he has in mind, uh, on the one side, um, the, the Roman law uh, of the time, the Roman culture uh, had, had adoption as a legal, a legal category, much like it is today, where you can go and you can adopt someone, and that person legally, by all rights, becomes your child, and they can, they can be... Come your your heir. 
Um, the other source, I think, to Paul's thinking on adoption is from the Old Testament because we see so much language in the Old Testament of God describing his people as his, as his son. Um, God talks about how he adopts Israel. He, he calls Israel. Israel is uh, uh, lost and, and, and in sin. And, and he calls Israel to himself like a man adopting a child. And he, he loves and he, uh, and he raises and he protects this, uh, this people of his. And now, as Paul brings this into the New Testament, he says that's what God has done. He's taken you who were not sons and he's brought you into his family. Uh, so it's, it's a legal thing. That means it's a, uh, a once-for-all thing. It's, a, it's an act of his free grace that he does, and it's a once-for-all decision, not a process, but it's a once-for-all thing. He does it by his sovereign grace to us in Jesus Christ. And that means it's an irreversible thing. Um, if God has adopted you, it's forever. You're his child forever. It's a permanent thing. He will not disown you. It also means it doesn't depend on you. It's a gracious thing that God has adopted us. When parents adopt a child, they do it out of their grace and their love and their kindness. It's not the child choosing the parents. And so God chooses who he will choose for himself by his grace. But there's more than a legal category to adoption, isn't there? Um, Adoption has a legal aspect, but it also has a very warm, familial aspect. It, it starts in the courtroom, but it moves to the family room. Um, the goal of adoption is not just a legal transformation, um, but a, a relationship of love between a father and a son. J.R. Packer, again, he writes this, Adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Loved ones, treasure the fact that God, yes, He's forgiven you, that He's justified you, but treasure, if possible, even more, why He's done it. To bring you into His family and sit you down at the table and put your picture on the wall. Right? That's what we do with our children. Because we love them. And so God loves those who are His. No longer do you stand before God in the courtroom. You are in His house, a member of His own family by His grace. This is the glory of what God has done for us in Christ through His Spirit. You stand in as close a relationship to the Father as our Lord Jesus Himself. You're not a second-rate child. You're adopted in Christ. And you belong in the family of God. Paul continues in the same vein. He brings this out with even greater forcefulness and clarity. And this is our third point. In verse 15b, Through the spirit of adoption we cry, Abba, Father. Um, one of the great privileges that comes with receiving the spirit of adoption is that you're able to cry, Abba, Father. Um, but what, what does Abba, Father, mean? Uh, I've heard it said that we should translate this. Uh, Abba means, means Daddy. Uh, um, it's an intimate word, uh, but it, it really just means Father. Um, but instead of being Greek, it's, it's Aramaic. 
So that Abba is, is, is the Aramaic term, Father is the translation of the Greek term that Paul uses. And this raises an interesting question, because they spoke Aramaic in Palestine, but Paul's writing to a church in Rome. Why give them an Aramaic word to use? Um, what is special about this, loved ones, is that it is the very name of God that our Lord Jesus Christ himself would have used. Abba. Um, but before, before Christ came, God was referred to as a father a few times in the Old Testament, compared to a father or referred to as a, as a father. But just, just a handful of times. Then Jesus comes, and Jesus uses the word father more than any other word as he speaks to God and about God. And he uses it in a very personal way. He, he calls him my father. And that level of closeness and intimacy with God had never uh, been seen before in the, in the Old Testament. Who would dare to address Yahweh, Lord of hosts, holy, 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 as my Father? Who would, who would approach the Creator of heaven and earth and say, Abba, Father? No sinner could have the, that, that right or to approach God in that way, but Jesus could. It was His right as God's Son to call Him Abba, Father. And now as Paul then is writing this Gospel, Romans 8, to the church, he says, you've received the spirit of adoption. You're a son in Christ. And so now you can cry out, Abba, Father, with the very same name Christ himself used for his Father. And that tells us, right, that opens a window to us on the quality of our relationship with the Father. The, the nature of it. We're, we're, we're brought into the relationship that Christ has with the Father and given that same kind of closeness and intimacy with the Father. We have a right to that name. And that is just astounding. A right in Christ to call God my Father. Jesus Himself articulates this for us in um, John 17, 23, as He's praying for His people to His Father. He says, You loved them even as You loved Me. And he says a couple chapters later to Mary Magdalene after his resurrection, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. My God and your God. How can we have this closeness with the Father when we're sinners? How can we who do not belong in God's house have a place in God's house, in a place at His table, in a place... Um, in, in, in His love like this. It's because Christ, the Son of God, took on our slavery and our condemnation for us. He came down and became a servant for us so that we could become sons. He, he died and suffered for our sins to pay the price, to offer the sacrifice for our sins so that we could receive this relationship with God and call God Abba, Father. But our privilege is even higher than, than this. We, we can unpack this more. As verse 15 says that we cry out, Abba, Father. What does it mean to cry out? The Greek word is kradzo. Um, it's one of those words that sort of sounds like what it is. Kradzo, right? Cry out. 
Uh, it's, it's a word that's used in some contexts uh, to describe uh, just, just a, a yell, a shout of agony or, or desperation. Um, it's, it, it means a loud and, and uh, vehement cry, uh, this, this loud shout. It's, it's what you shout when you're in trouble, when you're in distress. It's not a, a deep, contented whisper, uh, but, a, but, a, but a shout of desperate need. Um, we are given the kind of relationship with God as our Father where we can cry out in deep, desperate need for Him. Think about when you hear a child cry out, Father! Daddy! They fall down and get hurt. They're scared in the middle of the night. right? And what's their deepest instinct? They shout for Daddy. As we're made children of God, the Spirit comes and He makes this our instinct to cry out deep and desperate need, right? Our instinct to cry out, Father. Um, Charles Hodge, great 19th century Presbyterian theologian, puts it like this. He says, The Spirit produces the feelings which children have. The Spirit produces the feelings which children have. What a contrast this is. Right, think about the, the, the narrative of Scripture, the drama that, that, uh, uh, of, of, of Scripture. When you think back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are in this wonderful relationship with God as their father. Then they're exiled from the Garden by their sin. They're, they're not given... Right, they're, they're cast out. They're exiled out of His presence, away from Him. And when God comes, their deepest instinct is to run and to hide from Him. Right, that's under the under under fear, under wrath. God comes and they think judgment's coming, and they run, scared. Right? That that's what sin does to our relationship with God. But now, in Christ, it's completely changed. Again, back to the way it should be. Where no longer our deep instinct is to run from Him, but to run to Him and cry out to Him, Abba, Father, brothers and sisters. Is that your instinct? Do you, do you know God as your Father in that way? That it's your deepest instinct to cry out to Him as your Father? If it is, then take comfort. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters, because that's the instinct that sons have with their Father. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 builds on this, or it tells us that uh, it, is, it is the Spirit who, who makes us children of God, but it's also the Spirit who makes us to know that we are the children of God. It's a wonderful thing to be God's child, but it's a tragic thing to be God's child and not know that you are His child. The Spirit comes, and His ministry is to, is to do both. Bring us into uh, this relationship with God through Christ, and also make us to know that we're in this relationship with God through Christ. Without the Spirit coming and bearing witness, as verse 16 describes it, with our spirit that we're children of God, we would not have assurance or confidence in our sonship. Um, God gives us assurance, right? but, 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 but we're, we're in the flesh. Uh, we're, we're in the body still. We're, we're still uh, struggling with sin, and our assurance is weak and and, 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 and toddling around. But the Spirit comes, and he, he comes beside us, and as it were, takes our hand, 
And, and he says, with his strength and his confidence and his power, he gives to our faltering spirits his own testimony that we do belong to God. Uh, the Holy Spirit says, yes, you are God's child. He gives us the assurance that we belong to God. Um, you can have assurance, brothers and sisters, um, but it's not, it's not essential to saving faith, but it's, it's a precious gift of being, uh, being, being Christ. Um, you can imagine the agony of a child who didn't know if they belonged in the family, who didn't, didn't know that they were a child of, of, of their parents or not. The Lord does not want that for his children. He, he wants us to grow up into assurance where we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we belong to him and that he is ours forever. And so he's given us the spirit for this, that we might have this assurance. Um, Charles Hodge, again, writing on this, he says, those who have filial feelings towards God, who love him and believe that he loves them, and to whom the Spirit witnesses that they are the children of God, cannot doubt that they are indeed his children. Cannot doubt, he says. If you have the Spirit, and he, and he, and he teaches you that God loves you, you, you cannot doubt that you are his child. So, loved ones, I ask you, do you know God as your Father? Do you love Him? And do you know that He loves you? Can you is, it, is it so sure for you that you cannot doubt it? Is it the chief delight of your life? Because this is the chief delight of the Christian life, to know the Father's love for you and that you are His Son. If it is your assurance, brothers and sisters, then... It's because of the Spirit. So praise God for it and thank Him for it. Thank Him that, that you've received the Spirit of adoption and pray that you would come to know God and His love for you to even greater depths, that He would continue to fulfill Romans 5.5 5 for you. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. There is no better peace or joy than to have that assurance. If you don't have that assurance... Ask Him for it. You, you can't whip it up in your own heart. Um, ask Him. A ask His Spirit to come and make you a son and also show you that you are a son. Don't content yourself with doubting these things. Don't content yourself with living in a no-man's land where you're not sure if, if God loves you with these kinds of assurances. But go to Him. Cry out to Him. Grant me Your Spirit, O God. Go to His Word. Go to Him in prayer. Fill up your heart with His promises and pray that He would make it the deepest instinct of your heart to run to Him and cry out, Abba, Father, pour Your Spirit into my heart that I might know Your love for me. Make me Your child in Christ. Make me to know that I'm Your child in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the riches of our adoption in Christ Jesus. We thank You for giving us the spirit of adoption. Father, we pray that You would indeed make us to know Your love for us, that You would fill up our hearts with it, that it would satisfy us, that we would know we are Yours and You are our Father in Christ. We ask these things in His name.
Amen.